Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. Our story starts just outside the city limits of the capital city, the seat of religious power for Jesus and his kin, and where the regional imperial governor keeps a palace and holds court. It is an uneasy peace between the conquered and the conquerors, but it is a peace they have all decided they can live with as long as everybody stays in their place. And then there comes a day when Jesus decides it's time to disrupt that peace. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yeah. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself? He left them went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. This is how ancient kings came home after a triumphant battlefield display of might and valor in the name of God and country. On the back of a towering war horse, clad in gleaming armor, sword raised, surrounded by a phalanx 
I said phalanx, of loyal soldiers marching in lockstep, carrying the flag of the conquering nation, announced by trumpet fanfare and cheered on by roaring patriotic crowds. But Jesus, <laughs> but Jesus, during his lifetime of careful attention to scripture, had found a joke about kings coming home embedded in the oracles of Zechariah the prophet. Zechariah spoke of the thorough devastation of God's people by ruthless military powers. That's not the joke. And promised that in generations to come, God would take down their oppressors and restore peace and prosperity to the land. That's not the joke. The defeat of their enemies, Zechariah said, would be sure and swift, but it would not be a conventional army led by a conventional general king that achieved their vindication. Instead, Zechariah said, with a twinkle in his eye, their king would come the way God imagines power, on his ass, like a child, in an improvised parade without a weapon or flag in sight. So Jesus stops his friends as they get close to the city limits. Listen, listen, I've got an idea, he says. This is going to be great. Remember how in Zechariah's prophecy, he says the king will ride into the city humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey? They look at each other. They look at their feet. They look at the sky, not wanting to admit that they do not, in fact, remember. Ugh, you guys are the worst, Jesus says. Okay, but he did. He said that. So, so I need y'all to go get me one of each, a donkey and also a colt, like I'm pretty sure Zechariah just meant one, one really little donkey, but we're going to go with two, a donkey and a colt, because that's funnier. Go, go, y'all find me some. I'll just wait right here. When they get back, Jesus has blocked the whole scene, and the players have improvised their own props. Tree branches for flags, the shirts off their backs for a red carpet, their own hopeful voices for a fanfare. He scrambles to straddle the backs of two recalcitrant animals he's never met before. And holding on for dear life, he asks the crowd, y'all ready to make some noise? Let's fucking go! And thus begins their silly satirical sachet into town through the busy gate down the main street into the heart of the capital city. It is messy and noisy. It's out of tune with hilariously bad choreography. But the point is, the point is, no one can miss them. Matthew says, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in a turmoil, asking, who is that? And the crowds, the people with him, were saying, it's Jesus. It's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Galilee. Huh? And so he has arrived. Your king, Zechariah said, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey, on his ass, like a child vulnerable and brave, powerless and magnetic. You cannot look away. In days to come, in centuries to come, in millennia to come, who will ever watch an earnestly patriotic military parade of tanks and missiles, medallioned generals and uniformed soldiers and not remember 
his improv troupe of loser friends and snot-nosed kids shimmying and skipping and singing around his donkey cult duo. Who will ever again take seriously the assertion that might makes right, that the one with the biggest guns wins? <laughs> The Jesus Parade pulls right up at the doorstep of the temple courtyard atop the highest hill in the city. He slides down from his stupid-ass ride, takes a second to let his groin muscles find their rightful place. No, 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 his disciples whisper to each other, to the heavens, don't let him go in there, not like this, not right now. Come on, Jesus shouts over his, soldier, uh, over his shoulder, this is what we came for. And now the rally has become a sure enough protest as storming the temple grounds with a crowd of lepers and sex workers and whatnot, the kind of riffraff Jesus usually collected is not exactly respectful of protocol. That is to say, he's got a lot of people with him who are simply not allowed here. And they are pouring through the gate with, with what are those, tree branches? Waving in the air like, like weapons? Are they weapons? I dare say for some people who worship weapons, everything looks like a weapon. Shoot first, find out later. Anyway, it's going to take all the temple police they can get over here to get this situation under control. If they had walkie-talkies, they'd be on them, calling for backup. If they had guns. <laughs> While the police are tied up with the hoi polloi, Jesus strides into the temple market where worshipers are haggling with merchants over the price of sacrificial doves, trying to argue a better rate for exchanging Caesar's money for shekels. Hey, no cuts, somebody shouts when he skips the line and goes straight for the table. And before anyone can blink, he has upended the furniture, sending coins scattering thousands of Caesar's profiles skittering across the stones. So does he scream it, like in the movies? Or is everything suddenly miraculously quiet, frozen still? so he can speak his piece, the other Sabbath school memory verses he has pulled to the front of his brain for this occasion. My house shall be a house of prayer, Isaiah 56, but you are making it a den of robbers, Jeremiah 7. And then everything is unfrozen, more furniture smashed, the market immorality disrupted, the coup complete, because that's what it is, a coup. Jesus rides into town on his ass like a child, vulnerable and brave, and takes over the temple that day. He will set up his health clinic where the marketplace was. He will spend the next several days telling stories about the small, secret, subversive reign of God, a seed so small you can hardly see it, but when it is planted, it emerges from the ground stronger than you can imagine, strong enough to support all the birds of the air in its branches, all of humanity in the arms of God. It's coming, Jesus says, just you wait. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the son of humanity will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and they conspired to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. Now while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, 
a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? She's performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. By pouring out this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. I say this pretty much every year. It would have been so helpful if someone had written down her name. It's hard to tell what she did in remembrance of her everywhere the good news is proclaimed if nobody remembers what her mother called her, what her school friends knew her by, the name she used to introduce herself when she was old enough to choose. Or maybe not knowing her name is kind of the point. Maybe if she's nameless, there's a better chance for any one of us to imagine ourselves in her place. Here you are, trying to do it right. You used to think you didn't want God, or actually you tried not to want God because somebody told you that God didn't want you. But it turns out you just can't shake it off and you just stayed so hungry for so long, your emaciated spirit begging for a drop of the divine. But after so long without it, you weren't sure how to get it back. And then he came around with all his quirky queer friends, eating and drinking all over the bad part of town with all the wrong kinds of people, embracing and laughing and healing. They say healing and just generally making stuff work, putting broken people back together. And it's all you could think about. Maybe it could be good again. Maybe even for you, with all you've done, with all that's been done to you, maybe he could help you get it back. So you track him down, you follow the rumors. It's not that hard actually, he and his friends are pretty noisy drawing attention wherever they land for the night. So you've bought him a present, it's something you really can't afford, but you sold some stuff and got the cash, and now you've got this, this one gift to give him when the time is right. Tonight's the night. The rumors have gone from shiny, happy sparkles to ominous storm cloud skies. He's been sticking his finger in the eye of the authorities, you've heard, religious and civil, poking both those bears, going every day to announce himself in the temple where Roman ears hear treason and religious ears hear blasphemy. Either way, he's going to get himself killed. He doesn't have much time. You're sure of that. So you take your gift, your anointing ointment, thinking to offer him some tender care, because hair care is care. It's always been true. Thinking to ask if he can help you before he runs out of time. But no sooner do you open your mouth to speak than his friends are pointing their fingers at you. 
and saying what religious people have been saying to you for as long as you can remember. You're doing it wrong. You don't belong. You have made, you are a mistake. Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her, he says. And why? Is it just because you've brought something nice, offered a gesture of kindness in the middle of a very tense week? Jesus has his own understanding of what you've done, it turns out, intended or not. She has prepared my body for burial, he says, referring to the practice of perfuming a corpse before laying it in its final resting place. You're startled to hear it. It's absolutely not what you imagined when you massaged that stuff into his scalp. But you don't protest. Something in your gut knows he's right. He is going to suffer for being friends with people like you. He is going to pay for poking those twin bears, religion and empire. And when they wake up, they will tear him to pieces. He knows it. And you do too. The world is a rigid puzzle with the edges already in place, and it will stop at nothing to eliminate the pieces that just don't fit. Jesus did not give a lot of orders. He did not write a new set of righteous regulations for us to follow, but he did say this. Whenever we tell the story of God's wide embrace, whenever we insist that God's love is real and God's love is for you and God's love is worth it, we have to tell about the ones who have been told they're doing it wrong, that they don't belong. There is no story to tell, he said, without her, without you, without all the nameless souls, the small-minded followers of Jesus have tried to erase. Church, we don't know her name, but we know her. And to this day, wherever we tell the good news of God's getting everything God wants, we do just what Jesus said to do. We do it in remembrance of her. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, Go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.